but nothing could have prepared me for going into the Ion uh, Arena there in right. London. And for me to sat, sit there and watch this, this living stream of people yes. behind uh, the flags from countries of the world, it, was, it made the actual the Olympics seem lame. Oh, lame. Right. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> it seemed like, oh, the Olympics should come and see this. Hi, and welcome to Captain's Corner, a podcast about community, mission, and culture. This podcast is a ministry of the Salvation Army of Tampa, where we exist because we believe every person can be the person God has called them to be. Also, please check us out at tampasa.org and go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter at Sal Army Tampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Tim Tennant, the president of Asbury Theological Seminary. We'd like to take a moment to recognize our sponsors for helping to make this podcast possible. Thank you to RegisterToRing.com and to a very generous anonymous donor. We hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hi, friends. Welcome to Captain's Corner. I'm delighted to have with me a friend and somebody I admire quite a bit, Dr. Tim Tennant, who is the president of Asbury Theological Seminary. We are in Flow Villa, Georgia which is a very remote location at Indian Springs Holiness Camp Meeting, where we preached together a few years ago and got to know each other a little bit there. Anyways, we're glad to have you on Captain's Corner. Thanks a lot, Andy. Good to be here. So I, I want to take you back a little bit. I imagine 15, let's, let's say 20 years ago for you, you were professor of missiology at Gordon-Conwell University, doing a lot of things that you probably imagined you would use your various skills that you've developed and passions. Could you have imagined that you would be president of Asbury Seminary, much less here in Florida, Georgia? I don't think so. I think the Lord surprised us with his grace, and uh, certainly the Lord has uh, led us step by step to where we are today. So tell us about that that switch for you, because, I mean, you were a professor. I mean, you had been a missionary, served in multiple locations, a pastor in North Georgia, um, and then serving as a professor. The switch right. to be president, I mean, that... Was that something that was a career goal for it you? It was not a career goal for me at all, but I did uh, go through a three-year training program. Okay. Three years before I came to Asbury, I was nominated to be part of a pilot project to see if uh, a professor-type person could serve and uh, is either dean or president because there had been a lot of uh, failures okay. in presidential leadership in the previous uh, decade, a lot. And they felt like there was some problem, and they wanted to see if you could train somebody. So I agreed to go through the training, but with no particular interest in the job. But I did go through three years where we went and interviewed presidents around the country, talked about their challenge, what's it like to be president, all right, of that. Right. So I had I had just graduated, and Asbury actually never knew that I had gone through that. Oh, interesting. So it was interesting. I, found, I assumed that they must have like learned that I'd gone through it, but it came out later they had no idea. But I did go through a little training period for three years prior to coming to Asbury, but I still had never anticipated uh, leaving Gordon-Conwell because I was happy there. Right. So when you've come to Asbury, so was this been about 10 years ago? Yes, I just finished my 10th year. Okay. So tell, um, as an alumnus, I've been really delighted to see some of the things that have happened, but t- talk about some of the things that you've done there and like ways that you have led change and challenges that you've had. A lot of the people we'll talk to in this are, are people who are leaders in the business community and thinking about that sort of change, and others are missional leaders, uh, church leaders too. Um, we're all kind of faced with those sort of challenges of presenting a vision and coming up with a way to implement it. Yeah, it's a good question. I think that um, when you come in, I think change happens 
when you first uh, focus on what is the core DNA sure. you know, of the organization that you're leading, right? There's certain things that are just core to the army that will be there when Jesus comes back. If yeah. the army is true to itself, right? <laughs> yes. And there doesn't mean the army doesn't have ways they need to change. Right. In the same way, Asbury, I felt like there were certain things, particularly their the emphasis on church planting, right? The emphasis on global partnerships, a lot of the global vision, the kind of remember uh, more clarity of theological articulation in certain areas that we need to work on, uh, reestablishing our residential community, et cetera. But all of it was actually part of the DNA of Asbury, you know, from the very beginning. Sure. Our original founding motto was the whole Bible for the whole world. Right. right? So it showed, even with three students, H.C. Uh, Morrison understood that this this vision was for the world. Right. And so I don't really believe, uh, people often say that, you know, this, this, this happened, but I feel like Actually, I haven't done anything but just kind of blow embers on to what was already in the DNA of Asbury. And to me, that's the leadership I think is best when you, if you really belong to a place, then you belong enough to appreciate that um, things didn't begin with you. But you're, you're a steward of Amen. something and you're sipping to make it faithful in your own time that God's given to you. Yeah, so you mentioned H.C. Um, Morrison, Henry Clay Morrison, founding the school with three students. So... Asbury Seminary comes out of Asbury University, which was Asbury College at the time. But he really came across the street with just uh, three students, and he said the whole Bible for the whole world. It's right. A, yeah, I mean, the only thing he didn't do is probably cross the street. Oh, right. Uh, in the early days, they actually had the, the campus was on, on the same side as Asbury College for right. a few years. But there was a hotel across the street, uh, okay. which they eventually traded buildings. Okay, okay. And so it made sense to, uh, and so it was a few years before they literally crossed the street. But we often talk about how H.C. Morrison in 1923 crossed the street. <laughs> he actually crossed a small lawn. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Not but, that big, not that big. Of a, so tell, some people might not know about Asbury. Um, they, they might see like, you know, there's streets named Asbury, there's churches named Asbury maybe. But t- tell um, our listeners like, what the mission of Asbury Theological Seminary is? In- well, Asbury, the, Francis Asbury was, of course, the, one of the great church planters in American history. Uh, he, he's probably, uh, I think, probably the greatest church planter in our history. So he came to America um, when he was only uh, 21 years old, and he never left, even through the Revolution, when all the Wesley right. recalled all the ministers, he stayed. And he really focused on uh, church planning across and developed a great relationship with people. So part of what he did was start a training school in what's now just not far from Wilmore, Kentucky. Okay. And so it was called Bethel Academy. And that a little training center didn't last too many years, uh, but it was a, a starting, a, a, vis- a vision for training in that part of the country. So back in later on in 1790, when Asbury College was started, uh, then they, um, I mean 1890, that's when they right. established it and they called it. At the fact, the first year it was called the, the Kentucky Holiness College right. for only one year of its existence. <laughs> But uh, other Methodist colleges ironically complained because they said, we're all holiness colleges. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> and so they, the second year they changed it to Asbury after Francis Asbury. So we go out of that tradition um, of uh, theological education uh, within the holiness tradition and committed to um, you know, the, the Trinitarian salvation, all right. the themes that are classic in our movement. So, I mean, from three students, you know, it's grew over the years and it ends up becoming, you know, ser- serving the church globally um, in many denominations and not just within the Wesleyan Holiness Movement, but has a particular 
emphasis or portion of the student body that's United Methodist or you know it comes around and now you have how many students I mean over probably over 1500 students that come we have out. over 1700 now 1700. yes it's wow. been growing rapidly in the last few years so we have uh, yeah it depends on which campus in the or in, on our Memf- on our uh, Wilmore campus I would say uh, close to 50% of our student body are United Methodist right we have other campuses where, uh, like in Memphis and Tulsa, where we're not permitted to train. UMC won't take presence from those oh, places, so they don't have any methods there particularly. Or we have uh, uh, our Orlando campus has very few. So it depends on where where you are, kind of the overall Asbury system. But most of the young Methodist students come to Wilmore. That's true. Right. So one of the things, but we have ninety denominations now. At ninety, 90 yeah, 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 and I'm very proud of it. And the army is now coming up. I don't know if you know the army. I think is now in third place. Third place. Third place. Oh, I'm so delighted. I think so. There I mean, was three of us when I was there. I know. Right? The army has really has come up a lot in the last few years. Well, so. I'm so glad. Uh, you know, and, and that's been a desire for me. It was such a. It's not the, a track within the army to go to right. a theological seminary to get a master of divinity or any sort of thing, and that, that any any master's degree or even a bachelor's degree at that. And there's a strength to that that we're we're not seeing education as a, the ultimate expression of what it means to be in ministry. But it's the formative aspect that I so appreciated that helped prepare me for ministry going through that process. So I'm just so glad when people come through. I've, I've seen just in the last few days people who graduated and posting their pictures. I'm so glad to see more people attending. Mm-hmm. I was able to help coordinate, a, uh, and you were able to come to it at our uh, 150th anniversary in right. England. That's right. We got, at that time, we just had 60 alumni across the, I don't know how many years, like not quite 100 years, 75 years of Asbury's history. And we, we combined it with Asbury University too. But it was great to be able to experience that together and see the Army being influenced by the great work that you guys are doing there um this is great speaking of like the methodist side of what you're doing you have this um of course in the united methodist church very very well known like the challenges that they're experiencing particularly it relates to human sexuality and because there's such a contingent and you're an united methodist yourself uh, such a contingent of methodists at asbury seminary that requires you to have to speak up on those issues or you've taken a very vocal a position and I've appreciated what you said but talk to me a little about what's going on in the Methodist Church and maybe what other Wesleyan holiness denominations could learn from what's going on in Methodism well it's true that uh, Asbury a lot of young Methodists don't realize that we do serve so many people throughout the tradition right. free Methodist holiness uh, Nazarenes Wesleyans etc but certainly, the United Methodist represents more of a main, our mainline denomination and presence. So they they represent a lot of the challenges that have have really uh, struck a lot of the mainline churches, especially mm-hmm. their human sexuality. So Asbury uh, basically has had, the, has had twofold response. On the one hand, we want to reaffirm uh, the, our commitment to the biblical definition of marriage, one right. man and one woman. But we also feel like it's really important to address the deeper theology behind that. Like yes. we, we think this is a, this is actually it's a presenting issue, you know, rather right, than right. the whole yeah. issue. It's a presenting issue, and so behind it are deeper issues. Obviously, the authority of Scripture is a major one. Right. But I think another one that's more neglected is really developing a theology of the body. Right. Uh, we believe that the church is essentially focused on these issues as separate issues, like same-sex marriage, ordination, uh, gender reassignment. 
uh, right. the growth of growing use of pornography among young people, especially young men. Right. The uh, the transhumanism movement. Right. The, you know, all of these things are churning through our society and culture. Not to mention abortion and things that we've discussed for years. But all of these have a dramatic effect on on challenging the Christian view of the body. Right. Because the Christians have always said. Your heart is deceitful. Your body is trustworthy. Your body is good because it's part of the God's creation and the incarnation is right, ba- right, right, built absolutely. on that. And the com- uh, contemporary culture wants to say your body can't be trusted, you know, right. but your heart can be. So right. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to have Dr. Tennant complete that answer because my battery ran out of power and my inexperience as a podcast technician was shining through at that moment. Thankfully, I had another battery or able to plug it in and we continue the interview here in a second. But if you're looking for more from Dr. Tennant on that subject, on the theology of the body, you can find that at his website, timothytennant.com, where he has a seven-part message series available there and he has a book coming out on the subject as well. So I'm sorry that my inexperience led us to that place, but the interview continues on here soon. God bless you. This episode of Captain's Corner is brought to you by an anonymous donor who loves the Ministry of the Salvation Army and RegisterToRing.com. Register to Ring is the simple way to sign up to ring bells at the Salvation Army. Ringing bells is a cherished holiday tradition and money raised goes directly to help people in need in your community. To volunteer to ring in your community this holiday season, go to RegisterToRing.com to sign up today. You can sign up as an individual or a group. Just go to RegisterToRing.com. And let me just add that in Tampa, this has been a blessing to have Register to Ring in place. We've had a great expansion of our volunteer efforts because of Register to Ring. So check that out today. And our thanks to these sponsors for their help in producing Captain's Corner. So you, you mentioned uh, church planning has been a, a key part of uh, emphasis that you've had, not just you've had, but it's been a DNA of Asbury Seminary and something that you've helped bring out in a variety of ways globally. It kind of connects this idea that I was saying that the Salvation Army is an article of faith that in the whosoever and the worldwide impact of the gospel. Could you talk a little about that? So we established uh, uh, partnerships uh, in on every continent of the world. Some countries, uh, multiple partnerships, some are with churches, some are with um, mission agencies or, uh, or ac- academic institutions. Right. And we will uh, partner with them doing either lay training or uh, degree training in a number of areas, but one of the most vibrant areas is the church, our church planning institute. And okay. that particular one, we'll per- come in with um, between six and eight uh, modular courses. Uh, we those are designed partly as a core what we believe everyone should know for church planning, but then partly, like with the army, we have like okay, what would be particular uh, needs the army has that are important sure. for your cores and for your people, and so part of it is actually designed to work specifically with the group that we're working with. Right, and so that church planning uh, module or uh, institute has been extremely effective and we have now uh, trained trained hundreds around the world doing that we've been in India we've been in Korea we've been in Canada you know all over uh, I myself have traveled uh, I just got back recently from Brazil uh, did some great training down there as a vibrant uh, church planning ministry happened in the fifth district which is the southern part of Brazil okay and so Asbury gets to partner with that awesome. and so we're helping to stimulate we're not trying to build, you know, Asbury Seminary in Brazil or anywhere else. We're trying to strengthen institutions and churches that are there, and so that's part of, I think, the beauty of the. It's a self disinterested kind of movement. We're trying to pour into the global church, and then we also benefit from that because our professors come back transformed oh, and changed. 
So we, they have we, more passion for the global They do. Church. They, they understand they, 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 and they learn and they, they understand how students are different and they come back. And uh, we had one of our professors who had never been overseas and taught and um, I, I kept encouraging him to go because I asked all our professors to go overseas and teach. And so uh, he said very reluctantly, well, I guess I'll be willing to go to the, your partnership in Costa Rica. And so <laughs> we said, okay. We sent him to Costa Rica. He was there for several weeks. He came back home. He says, I'll never teach the same again. Wow. You know, that's the power of it. When you rub elbows with brothers and sisters in the world, you go away changed. Yeah. And so that's part of what I think God is doing. And of course, we have many faculty with decades of experience teaching overseas, but uh, some faculty don't have that. And so right. now we're asking all of them to invest a certain percentage of their energies into global Christianity. Leading in faculty, I know that that might be, yeah, one of the things that's unique about your role as president, um, I, can, I, I can't understand it, but I can understand the aspects of it that in the Salvation Army, I have board members who are generally successful business people who donate at a high level, who know how organizations work. We have members of our congregation, I have volunteers, we have people we serve, there's yeah. uh, probably a few, and I, I'm the kind of connecting link between right. all these people. But you, you have you have a board that's right. in, in many ways supervises and oversees you, commissions you to lead the university. You have 100, 200 PhD theology professors, all sorts of levels, different levels of professors who you know, I, I know a few of those folks, and they, they know a lot, right? There's, 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 there's not much you can teach them. You have students, you have staff. Talk about, like, the integration of all of those things in, in creating a, um, a, a unified vision. Well, I think it's important in any kind of leadership role where you have multiple constituencies. And we, as you mentioned, we have some that are internal, like right. students and faculty and staff, et cetera. We also have ex an external constituency, which include... Uh, donors, alumni, also um, accrediting bodies. Oh, as sure, well. that too. All, yeah. all that's a huge factor for us. So, part of it is to get everyone to realize that um, rather than create a zero sum game, you know, where you say uh, if you grant something to the faculty, it means therefore the staff have to be heard, or you know, okay. or some kind of like zero sum approach leadership. Instead, you say, let's all be missional driven. Let's all right. agree. So, when we started our strategic planning process, our trustees said to me, um, "How long will it take?" to uh, do a strategic planning uh, for the seminary and present to us a strategic plan, I said, um, it can't happen in anything less than three years. Wow. They were shocked. They were like, well, we were hoping you'd give it to us by the next meeting. <laughs> I know. And I said, well, I said, I'll be happy to work on a long weekend this weekend. I can work out a, a strategic plan you for you. You can write something down. Yeah. I can write something out for you and have it to you by next weekend. I said, but it would be worthless. Wow. Because the, 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 the key is the process. And we used a process which I had written on earlier called the uh, the Global Cafe, where you it uses seven principles uh, that help organizations talk about things that really matter. Okay. And so we went through a process that went on for several years, discussing our history. I, I posed ten kind of defining questions, which was I think the, probably the biggest role I played in it was okay. I posed the, the I think key questions that right. we, every school needs to ask answer and need to be asked. And some of them were peculiar to Asbury, some were just true for anything in higher education today or any church movement actually. But anyway, we asked these questions and we developed vision teams right. that included faculty and staff and students. And that went on for a long time. And they presented insights, papers, and all of that eventually worked into a plan, right. which then we had a lot of back and forth with the trustees and others on it, of course. But the point is, it was a grassroots up process, and then we, um, after 
I think seven years into it, we revisited it and did a 2.0 plan. Okay. And then recently we did another 2.1, some okay. minor changes. The point is we kept conversing about it. Sure. How are we doing? A lot of updates about it. Don't just put it on it. the shelf. Yeah. Right, so right. I, I don't want to just have it in their, in their filing cabinet. So the idea was to... So we had a, a the big plan, which was you know over sixty pages, but we also had you know a one page visual yes. version they could all have. I remember it. And so they had it on their office walls and all that. So the idea was to make sure everyone realized that this was not something that was being parachuted down upon them, but something which arose out of our uh, healthy conversations, sure. and then we're together pursuing it. And it makes a big difference in the decisions yes. you make because you can show this decision was made. Not because of these three, four false reasons, but because this is what we decided together. We were going this direction, Amen. so therefore we're going this Amen. direction, right? So it really made a big difference in a lot of the change we've made the last several years. I love it. And that, that will speak to a lot of folks like you know, every Salvation Army is different, but we always have these various constituencies that we have to help shape and lead and, and guide and present. And now you forgot one thing I want to say, though, about your vision. I was on the alumni board when you were uh, coming up with it, and you forgot the famous coin. I have a 2023 vision coin. That's right. There, and That's actually, right. I still have it. It's yeah. on my on my dresser, and I pray for you guys Thank when you. I God when I see you. it every now and then. So That's great. I'm hoping that that coin's going to be worth a lot of money someday. That's right. <laughs> and just so you'll let us know, we chose 2023 because. That's the year that Asbury turns 100. Oh, right, right. And so we thought it'd be nice to have a goal like that and building up to say, okay, what do we need to do to prepare for our next 100 years? Right. And so uh, we're gonna, we already have a committee planning our celebration for 2023 and all that we'll do to celebrate our 100th birthday, the way the Army did there. Yeah, sure. 150th. So. Well, it was great. What did you think of that event? When you So we were able to invite you to come and, and Dr. Sandra Gray from Asbury University and right. came and you saw, what did you think of that event it in was, London? It was amazing. Of course, it was your previous general that was there at that time and right. um, I, I was just so honored we had a meal with him we had very open conversations about some of the, the challenges and opportunities the army's facing but nothing could have prepared me for going into the ion uh, arena there in right. london the o2 uh, yeah and it's one of the largest i think it's the largest venue in london right right yeah so here we are in this massive auditorium and i'm there in the uh in the box with the with the general right you know, we right. were all there and all of a sudden, the, I'm not sure if you call them corps or what, but they came in from each of the nations right. with their flags. And, and every night, it, they, there's no way you could have done it in one night. Right. There's yeah. so many nations represented by the Army, they had to span it out over you know, days. And for me to sat, sit there and watch this, this living stream of people yes. behind uh, the flags from country of the world, it, was, it made the actual... The, Olympics seemed lame. Oh, that's lame. right. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed like, oh, the Olympics should come and see this. It was truly remarkable. And just, uh, I think most people don't realize the full global impact of right. the Army and how, how amazing it is and how empowering it is. And, and you could see the joy in their faces. And um, it was truly a great celebration. So glad I was there. I'm glad you came too. You know, we have a, we're in 131 countries now. Um, I don't know what the number, over a million soldiers, people who've made this covenant to become soldiers in the Salvation Army, they, to adhere to our doctrines and, you know, essentially the goal of the Salvation Army, which is to save the world. <laughs> not, not that we do it, of course, that it's God's work and that we get to participate in his activity in the world. Uh, I met that night when you were there. I was so glad that kind of like my outside friends outside oh. the Army got to hear singing a William Booth song, O Boundless Salvation. Yes, that's right. And you got to see that. And it's, it's helpful to be reminded of that global movement. I, 
um, last night you gave some stat. I heard you preach last night some statistics about um, the various. You, you took the Matthew twenty-eight and the various ethnicities. T- tell us some of those stats about like how many countries there are in the world, unreached people groups, and those type of things. Um, if you yeah. if you can recall them, yeah, I'm sorry. I would I, just basically arguing that that when people read the text in Matthew where it says make disciples of all nations, right? We generally most readers that don't know the text think that means you know, 195 countries of the world. There's 193 right. countries in the world by the United Nations. If you add Vatican City and the Palestine, it's 195. Okay. So so if Jesus is saying that the gospel is 195 countries, <coughs> then, of course, we've already accomplished it. Sure, the job sure. is done. But when Jesus says the word there is ethne, we right. the word ethnic, it means people group or ethnic group. And, of course, there's 17,000, over 17,000 of them. And so... Part of my call last night was to say that, you know, we still have over 6,500 6, people groups in the world that have no viable witness of Jesus Christ. And right. there are thousands of languages with no, even not even John 3.16 wow. in their language. Wow. Our own daughter works with one of those tribes wow. in Tanzania. And it's just a huge need. And we, we need people to lift up their eyes to the harvest and see mm-hmm. that the harvest is ripe. Yes. The laborers are few, and we need laborers to go into the harvest. And so, uh, Matthew's gospel is one of the one of the course. There's, there's a, accounts in all of the gospels, but that one calls us particular to to uh, make disciples of all the nations of the world, all the people groups Amen. in the world, plant churches, and all those places. So we pray that the army uh, continues to have that vision. Amen. And and just as you, as we all hear this, you just be reminded, even if you're not the one who's going. But you have a role to play in that and praying for the harvesters and, and supporting it. And um, this might encourage those in the Salvation Army to think about what we call our world services um, a little differently. Um, it's not just like this tax that's given to us from our headquarters, but the Salvation Army, like for instance, um, you know, our goal for Tampa, $85,000 each year to support the international work of the Army. It's expanding mm. work. This is a key thing that we need to be thinking about. I'd love to hear who some of your the influencers have been in your life, the people who have been some of the bet, greatest influencers on you. Like who who is it that you think of, you, you stand back and you think, that person really gave to me. Or maybe maybe it's a writer who you never met. I would love to hear some of your the influencers on your life. Well, obviously I have a, a lot of influence from my own um, mother and father who are right. wonderful godly people. And my mother is still alive at 90, 92 years old. And uh, she is from her. I, I learned just that she has such great conviction for the gospel and love for people. And I never forget as a young person seeing her. Um, I grew up in a Jewish part of Atlanta, and uh, she would uh, witness to all these young little boys and Jewish awesome. boys. And they used to come to our Bible studies with their Bible in a paper bag, you know, afraid. <laughs> so she was had that wonderful evangelistic streak in her. And but I, as I grew in my years in terms of uh, the field I'm in. I, Deeply influenced by Andrew Walls. Okay. Uh, he was uh, one of my, my second mentor in my PhD program. Uh, in Edinburgh? Yeah, University okay. of Edinburgh. Uh, he directed a program called the Center for the Study of Christianity in the Non-Western World, okay. which focused on how we can learn what's happening in the vibrancy of the world around us. And Andrew Walls uh, is, a, is a great, um, I mean, just a great Christian man as well as a great scholar. I learned mm. so much from him. And so he's always been one of my you know, heroes of the faith, you might say, mm-hmm. someone that's really influenced me a lot. I also um, 
John Brockington, you don't may not know him, but he's also another scholar that I uh, was deeply influenced by and helped me as I studied Hinduism okay. in the Indian context. A lot of my work has been in India. Okay, yeah. And um, I also met very early on a, a Indian leader named George Chavanika Manil. Okay. It's a mouthful. But he was a young uh, Indian leader who wanted to go back to India and... Um, and start a school there and so forth. So I went with him and helped him. And so we worked together for over 30 years now right. in a that school in India. And uh, we have a very uh, deep partnership. He's been a very close friend of mine. I also have a, a very good friend that's a pastor of a, the, in the Scottish Episcopal Church. Okay. And we became friends when I lived in Scotland. And so he was one of these men that was just very wise, and we would meet together every week for just uh, you know like coffee and, and and Bible study kind of thing. So when we when I graduated my PhD, we said you know this is just too uh, good to stop, you know. So let's see if we can why don't we just start calling on you know once a week and just I never knew it last. Wow. So uh, we've been doing that now for um, every Sunday night for twenty five really? years. Really, what a great yeah. uh, habit to get yeah. into. And so because he's across the ocean, um, you know, he's he is disconnected from Asbury, and we can yeah, talk sure. openly about things, and he can share his concerns. And so we have a kind of like a our version of a band meeting, basically. Oh, wonderful. And we study scripture and just talk about things and. So I have people like that in my life. That means a lot. His name is Dr. Kevin Scott, and okay. he's a scientist and, okay. a, and a pastor. Wow! So he has a lot of uh, he has a lot of uh, amazing just knowledge about science and things. And he's just kind of guy. One of those guys that just knows a lot about everything. Okay, so he's good to bounce ideas off and just talk to about things. You bring up band meetings, and um, it, we've moved uh, in our congregation from the idea of just small groups where you kind of come in and you watch a video to really thinking about um, class meetings and band meetings to really take and we've, we've gotten that via seedbed and that's something we haven't talked about something that's come around since you've been president of Asbury Seminary this publishing arm but it's become more than a publishing arm uh, talk to us a little about seedbed and that movement and the new room movement as well Right, thank you. Uh, this has been a great opportunity. If you know the publishing world, you'll know that publishers are suffering and struggling around the country, around the sure. world. Yeah. Uh, publishing is a hard industry because of the change of digital materials, etc. So um, the idea of starting a publishing house is right. like completely not intuitive. Right. But we understood, and I think uh, I'll explain what happened, but we said, you know, the problem with publishers is they view it as a transaction. It's transactional. You're trying to sell a book to somebody, right? right and you get right, money right. for that. And you're not actually connecting the readers to one another. They're not part of a vision or anything. They're just people who buy books from you. So it's all transactional. We said, what if you started a publishing company that actually brought people together in relationship and you actually dialogue with them? What, what resources do you need? Yeah, How sure. can we serve you? So we started this and... Um, we thought, you know, can we bring together our readers and uh, and our and into a, a fellowship? And we called this fellowship the New Room Network. New Room is the name of the for those who aren't Methodists who are listening to this. This is the name of the first house of worship mm-hmm. in the Methodist movement in Bristol, England, and it's called the New Room. And so, in honor of that space, and also just the great that phrase, the, a new room, a new space for us to meet together mm-hmm. and discuss. Uh, global renewal, uh, our our doctrines, which are similar with the Salvation yeah. Army, etc. And so, the first year we had 300 pastors that came, and the next year it was 600. Then it went to 1,200, and it went to 2,000, and it went wow. to 2,200. Now this next year will be 3,000. This wow. next this fall, 
So it's just exploding with growth. It's certainly the fastest growing Wesleyan uh, conference in the country. And we just believe uh, God has put his favor on it. And um, I, I had a conversation with Sonovan, a senior person, Zonovan, one time. And I said, what would happen if you um, tried to get all your Zonovan readers together? He said, we could meet in a phone booth. Wow. And it was a joke. I mean, his, his whole point was, our Zonovan readers don't care about each other. Right, you know, we, sure, we're just sure. buying books. Yeah, Whereas awesome. the New Room Network really brings together people that are passionate about the Wesleyan world, yes. how we can um, work together in, uh, in, in, in serving the un- people that without, the, without the Lord. So it's been, a, it. it's been a dramatic thing. Yeah, you've been there. We've had uh, we have speakers from the Army who've spoken yep, there on yep. multiple occasions, including yourself and yep. others. And uh Danielle Strickland and right, other yes, leaders yes. have spoken there. So we appreciate the fact. In fact, early on, the vision was never to unite simply uh, the United Methodist uh, group right. renewal. That, that's needed, and there's organizations for that. We said, is there any movement out there that's bringing together the whole tribe? Wow. You know, across the board, Army people, Wesleyans, Free Methodists, Nazarenes, you know, yes. Methodists, etc., and that's what has happened. And wow. we, we've actually, the first few years, we tried to just bring across the, the network in the U.S., but then in more recent years, we've tried to bring people from around the world into it to really make it a, a global network, and it's called New Room Network. And that's yeah. what's been uh, growing and developing every year. So you get seedbed.com, new, uh, you so type in New Room Conference. Yeah, Seedbed is actually the name for both the publishing house and the New Room uh, Conference, okay, which yeah. you went to in the New Room Network. So. Seedbed is the overall name for it, but the Seedbed Publishing House is the publishing arm of that, and right. Seedbed.com is the location of that on the web. And so, we sell, um, you know, a lot of materials around the around the world, and on that, including Bible study materials, yes, children's yes. curriculum for and churches. Your books in general cetera. have been there. Last My week. books. Is your there. theology of the body book going to be through Seedbed, or are you going to go to outside? Well, it, that's actually interesting because Zondervan has come to us and said we we are really interested in what you're doing in Seedbed, and okay. we we would love to find a way to connect our readers with your readers and your readers with our readers. So Zondervan has asked if they could publish this book okay. as a joint publication with Wonderful. Seedbed. Awesome. So, my book on the theology of the body will be a joint uh, Zondervan and Seedbed publication. So anyway, we've been really excited about the, the, the publishing side, but we also we provide resource to the church for free. So for example, yep. we have our uh, seven-minute seminary Love on it. that site, yep. and we have uh, literally hundreds who will read that all the time. And so you can send in a question, and we'll have a professor from Asbury or someone who's an expert in that field answer it in seven minutes or less. Wow. And it has been a delight to people all over the world. And if you go and just look around, you know, you can't help but just enjoy the questions people have asked us. Yeah, you know, sure. Everything about you know why are translations different, or why yeah, sure. you know why is people discuss about seven days of creation or whatever. And so anything that people want to talk about or ask about or a problem text in Romans seven or something, sure. they ask about it and we talk about it. And so it's been a very popular. It's used for a lot of things. The it's, editing's really good. It's sharp, they're sharp looking, and that's a great thing about the even the, the seedbed books. All it, they look good. They don't look like yeah. it's like you're using your copy room at Asbury Seminary to make yeah. it happen. I mean, it's really high, and you have this person with a great name who's your director of publications, Andy Miller. And that's and right, Andy Miller. Every now and then. That's, <laughs> so that's right. great. And we also have the Daily Text, which right. is uh, Daily Text, which yeah. is another free thing we offer, and people. Uh, we see in their inbox every morning at, at, at 5.30 in the morning, it arrives, and uh, people, we just had really thousands of people that have said that 
morning devotional has been very meaningful to them. So those are just services we're offering to the church as a whole, and it's been a good way of linking the tribe together. Yeah, well, thank you for your work with that. Um, what's God doing in your life these days? Well, I, have, I found that the, um, the being a president of Asbury is itself a means of grace, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because it's a, a way I could learn and grow to be a better person, a better mm-hmm. Christian. My wife and I, uh, we've been deeply influenced by the, the role of the Psalms in helping us to grow as Christians. And so we have, um, one of our projects that we developed was a, uh, we did our own metrical Psalter yes, of all 150 yes, yes. Psalms. And um, we spend uh, at least an hour every day in the Psalms. To you get, and your wife together? Just two of us together. Yeah, every day? Every day. Usually it's a little over an hour. And he's hour and what, what time of day do you do this? Just curious. Your so we start at 5.30 in the morning. And we go from 5.30 to 7 o'clock every day. And then I take a shower and we have breakfast. And I go to work at 7.30. Wow. That's our schedule. So we get up early in the morning. We um, we sing through psalms. We, of course, pray and have discussions. We you know read, read text. But the, the kind of opening core of it is in the psalms every day. So we do one psalm a day. Yeah. If I'm traveling on the road, which is a good bit of time, uh, I will call. And we'll do it on the phone. Okay. So we, wherever we are in the world, uh, we still do a psalm a day. We started it. We started doing the psalm a day in April of 2012, and so this is 2019. We're talking. So it's been a wow. number of years. So we do this every day, including this morning and every, every morning. Yeah, it's sort of our routine. Oh. That's been really. De- so that's helped us to grow. Uh, and I think for some reason, the psalms particularly helped me to come to some new places of depth in my life and uh, just wrestling with things and I just found the Psalms was a great means of grace for us so we just have I didn't know that about you personally I knew yeah. that you had worked on it together and I've seen it come through Seedbed the public public. also the Asbury Hymnal I know you all worked on that Our, I'm not doing that quite disciplined yet with my wife but about every other night we use the Asbury Hymnal and we the, the very last hymn in there is the day that thou gave us yes so okay, we yeah. sing that okay I'm letting you into the the inner sanctum of the Miller bedroom here listeners but we'll, we'll sing that song as a prayer at that that hymn as a prayer at night but we use the Asbury hymnal for it too but now you're challenging me I gotta yeah. gotta go early morning that's a beautiful we, we thing we also so we actually have the Asbury hymnal we sing hymns at night too okay we, we have the Asbury hymnal we have actually two other hymnals that we use as well but uh, we also often will uh, read through or sing through a hymn at night wonderful well thank you for taking time with me I know it's a busy schedule preaching here you preached nine times in 10 days and you attend i was off uh, every time i preached last time you came even when you didn't have to and it's a it's a grueling piece here because it's in the heat it's an open air auditorium but you know the gospels preach really well in that type of situation amen, so, amen. so we we uh, just know of our prayers for you in the seminary and the role that you're playing for the work of the kingdom we appreciate your leadership and, uh, god bless you and work in tampa and all and around the world thank you Thank you for joining us for another episode of Captain's Corner. Next week on the podcast, we will have Commissioner Willis Howell, the Territorial Commander of the Salvation Army in the Southern United States. If you'd like to learn more about us, please feel free to check us out at tampasa.org and give us a follow on Twitter at SalArmyTampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time.